announcements. There we go. Revelation chapter 6 is where we are today. I've been enjoying our trip so far in Revelation. Uh, Last week in chapter 5, there was a lot of little details that kind of came together in, in what we saw taking place there in heaven. And just to backtrack a little bit, in the Garden of Eden, God gave all authority and dominion to Adam. And in a sense, what he was doing was giving him a lease agreement for the entire earth. The earth was still the Lord's and everything in it. But by giving that a power, it was giving Adam a certain amount of authority over the earth, right? And there in Revelation chapter 5, we see God upon the throne holding in his hand a scroll that is sealed with seven seals. There's writing on the front and on the back. And no one in heaven, on earth, or under the earth. The idea is that no one past, present, future, ever in all of mankind was worthy to take the scroll or even to look at it. And the question had gone out, who is worthy? None. What God's holding in his hand is the lease agreement, or the title deed, actually, to the earth. And in the Hebrew culture, that when you would lease your land out to someone, it would be for basically a seven-year period. It was theirs for six, and at some point during the seventh year, you'd reclaim it. And you'd take the title deed, which would be written on front and back, labeled with, or sealed with seven seals, and you'd break those seals and reclaim what is yours, right? And when no one is found to reclaim the title deed of the earth, John says, and I wept much. The idea that mankind would continue in their downward spiral, in our downward spiral, broke his heart. And then he says, but look, an angel tells him, look, don't weep. Or excuse me, one of the elders tells him, look, don't weep. The line of the tribe of Judah is worthy. This is the whole thing that's taking place. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, takes the scroll. He alone is worthy to do so. He alone is worthy to break its seals and to read it and to reclaim the earth as his own property. And and when he does, when he takes that scroll, heaven erupts in worship. That there's this the, the elders and the four living creatures of the four uh, seraphim, these mighty angels, they fall down before the Lord and this worship takes place. And, and then it expands out and John can't even number it. He's, he just says the angels were 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. And they sing this song to the Lord, right? Because this is the moment all creation in heaven and earth has waited for since garden, the, Adam's failure in the garden. That sin of rebellion, and that's really what it was. Though so we, we come up with different ideas of what happened with, with Adam and Eve there in the garden. The, the sin was rebellion. God had said, don't do this, and they went, well, we're going to do it anyway. It's simple rebellion. Whatever their justification is, it's the same, right? And so now the Lord has begun the process by taking the scroll And really, for the devil and for all the powers of darkness, this is the beginning of the end for them. 
In chapter 6, we're going to see as he breaks these seals, the action begins to take place. What happens in heaven is having an impact on earth. So let's pray, and we will get into chapter 6. Lord God, again, we want our ears to be tuned in to what you want to say to us today. God, give us hearts to receive your word into good soil, that it would bear good fruit in our lives. We just submit ourselves to you. Pray that you'd take away the distractions, you'd take away the the concerns, the fears, whatever might be drawing us away, that we might be fully here to receive from you today, and that you would teach us your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Chapter 6, as John continues to tell us the things that took place. Verse 1 says, Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a loud voice, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out to conquering and to conquer. And when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come and see. And another horse, fiery red, went out. And it was granted to the one who sat upon it to take peace from the earth. And that people should kill one another. And there was given to him a great sword. And when he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come and see. And so I looked, and behold, a black horse. And he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hands. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius. And do not harm the oil or the wine. One of the purposes of the tribulation, I know we've talked about some of the different purposes that are taking place and and why God is bringing about this last seven years of mankind. But one of the purposes is that God is bringing judgment upon mankind. And that's not a real popular subject. People don't like to talk about God's judgment upon the earth. Uh, But this is it. This is God warning and warning and warning and finally bringing mankind to a point they must make a decision. But we need to understand it is not just judgment for judgment's sake. Like God's just been like, I can't wait to judge the earth. You know, I'm going to let him have it. And this is finally my moment to pour out wrath on the earth. That even in this wrath, and we're going to see this all the way through the book of Revelation, is that it is an attempt to draw people to repentance. Again, he's removing the gray areas. He's removing those things where now mankind can no longer say, oh yeah, I'm a very spiritual person. Oh, I believe Jesus was a good guy, good teacher, who knows, maybe even the Son of God. But they haven't had to make a choice. That will not be the case during the tribulation. Every single person will have to make a choice individually of who Jesus is. No one will be ignorant. No one will not understand. In fact, we're going to see angels going around, flying around the earth, preaching the ever-living gospel. So no one's going to go, Jesus who? I I haven't heard of Jesus. And so these things are taking place, and they can seem very harsh, and they are harsh. They're they're heavy duty. But this is like the last shaking of mankind. God has been 
attempting to woo people by the Holy Spirit for thousands of years, and now it is down to the final moments, and he's shaking the earth going, please believe, please repent. And what we're going to see is the majority of people, though they hear the gospel, they understand who Jesus is, choose not to follow him. Choose to continue to pursue their own lusts and their own sin. But everyone will have to choose. Um, and, and really, I think that's usually how God's wrath works. God's judgment falls a lot like this all through Scripture, where he draws and he calls and he tries to bring people out. You know, uh, Pharaoh is a great example. You know, God is telling Pharaoh, let my people go. Let them go out in the desert that they might worship me. And that, that's all he was saying. And Pharaoh hardened his heart and hardened his heart and continued to harden his heart. And at the end of that, it says, and God hardened Pharaoh's heart. It's that, I don't want you to go that way. But at some point, he says, if you insist on going that way, then go. Right? That the natural consequences to what God has been warning against are allowed to take place. Right? That, that isn't that God just... God has just decides, okay, I'm going to pour out punishment upon you. It's like I've warned you that this is coming, and you're not listening. And so the natural consequences are now going to befall you. And very often, it's exactly what people are asking for. And that's the case with the four riders and actually most of the seals as they're broken. It's giving the people of the earth exactly what they've asked for for a long, long time. Now, also with the four writers, it's important to understand that what they are given authority to do, it's not where suddenly they're released and it takes place on earth. It's going to be the long haul. It's going to be a long process that they go through that these things take place. And so uh, when the first seal is broken, one of the seraphim, these, these mighty angels... Uh, They're called the four living creatures here. Tells John, come and see. And there is a rider upon a white horse. His identity is important. uh, Because if we don't understand who this rider is, it makes this chapter and actually several places of Revelation very confusing. Uh, And it is confusing. It's one of these things that there's there's some major discussion uh, over who this rider is. And... uh, a lot of people look at it and go, well, he's a rider on a white horse. And they think of, in Revelation 19, we see Jesus coming back at Armageddon, the very end of the tribulation, upon a white horse. And so some people would say, in fact, a lot of people would say, well, this is Jesus. This is a picture of Jesus. Um, and there's some real problems with that. Again, if, if we see this as being a picture of Jesus coming to the earth, uh, it's it's going to make everything very confusing. First of all, the reason this isn't Jesus is that Jesus is in the process of breaking the seals. He's got the scroll. He's reclaiming the earth. And while, yeah, he's God, he can be all places at once, that's not how Revelation unfolds, right? We see Jesus in one place at a time in charge of what's going on. The second reason we can see that this isn't Jesus is that uh, the rider upon the white horse is armed with a bow. He receives a crown. 
and goes out conquering and to conquer. Uh, nowhere in Scripture do we see Jesus armed with a bow. He is always armed with a sword, which is his word, right? He doesn't need to go out conquering and to conquer because he has already conquered sin and death. Nor does he need to receive a crown because he is the king of kings, right? He is already crowned. And it's easy to mistake this writer as the Messiah. In fact, that's his purpose. This is the Antichrist who appears on a white horse, strong, peaceful, and he is going to be the most vicious leader the world has ever known. But not at first. At first he seems to be somebody very kind, very, very caring, very politically correct, all of that. And he's going to be, I believe, this is showing us he's going to be on the scene before the tribulation even starts. He might be a political character. He might be uh, just somebody of popularity. Uh, and it's interesting to me over the years how many people love to guess at who the Antichrist is going to be. And man, I tell you, some people get serious about it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and some over the years, uh, Prince Charles of Wales was, was one that for a long time people, oh, that's him, that's him. And there were all these crazy stories of secret meetings and it's not Prince Charles, right? <laughs> Another one was Arnold Schwarzenegger. That one was going around for a long time, and which in some ways would be funny. I, I, it'd be hard to take him seriously with the Arnold voice and all the one-liners going, no, it's not Arnold either. But I believe that he may very well be on the scene, and, and that he's somebody that maybe isn't directly in the spotlight now, maybe just off to the side a little bit, somebody that people like and look up to. That they believe this guy could be a great leader or whatever. But he's not really going to rise to that power until the tribulation begins. And when it does, this will be the guy to come on the scene and go, you know what, we need to band together in unity. We need to be, so, we need to be a one people and one, one currency and one life and, and, all, and one nation, and everybody's going to rally around this guy. And again, he, he's going to seem like an incredibly kind, intelligent caring leader but he's the antichrist and again i believe that part of god's judgment is to say this is the leader you've always wanted you've wanted the leader who's not godly but is moral who's kind but isn't a christian who doesn't put his opinions on everybody else but cares about the world this is the one that they've asked for and this is the one that they'll get. In verse 4, the second seal is broken. A rider on a fiery horse. Uh, very often, this is referred to as, the rider is referred to as war. Um, but what's interesting, and, and to me, I think this is a small little detail, but it, it's an important one. Because this rider does not bring violence and war and conflict to the earth. What he does is removes peace. He takes something away, and the result is war, violence, and conflict. Again, uh, I think this has given people what they've asked for, not understanding what they've asked for. 
When someone says, you know what, I don't want anything to do with God and I don't want anything to do with his stuff. I don't want anything from him. I just want to live my life. When the things of God are removed, nothing good remains. That people are saying, well, I don't want God, but I want unconditional love. And I don't want God, but I want absolute peace. And I don't want God, but I want to have absolute unity with other people. Those are all fruits that come from him. And so when he's removed, he takes his stuff with him. And again, that's part of what the whole tribulation is about. This is just one part of that. But again, people are saying, well, I don't want to have anything to do with God. Okay, then the only thing that remains is evil and darkness. Peace is removed. It's one aspect of God's character. And the result is horrible war and conflict on a worldwide scale. Now, as the tribulation begins, his peace is removed and violence will flourish worldwide. Verse 5, the third seal is broken. The rider on a black horse with scales. Um, And then there's this voice that calls out from the four living creatures. Not from them, but from the midst of them. And we'll see this a couple of times. This is like a little preview or a soundbite of earth, right? I mean, I'm sure John didn't think about, about it like that. But that's what's going on, is that what's taking place in heaven, you're getting just a little bit of glimpse of what's happening as a result on earth, right? And it says a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius. Um, Translation to the things in our day, the idea is an entire day's wages for a small loaf of bread. That this is the rider that people usually call famine. That there's going to be famine upon the earth and great poverty that comes with it. Um, But it's not going to affect everybody that what this is going to do is cause a huge division between the very, very poor and the very, very wealthy. And there isn't going to be anything in between. Because the first part is about those who will work an entire day for a small little loaf of bread, which is basically enough for one person. Not like a loaf of bread like we think of. It's like a roll. But on the other side of it, you've got somebody shouting a command about not to harm the oil or the wine. These aren't the basic things of life. These are the abundant things of life. These are the excessive things and pleasures. And so you've got the very poor scratching to survive, and you've got the very wealthy who are making bank off of their poverty. And we already see this to some degree. I mean, if you've traveled at all around the world, if you spend any time in third world countries, you see the very poor and you see the very wealthy and nothing in between. There's no middle class. America has been like the only country, well, I guess other developing countries and and advanced countries will also have a middle class. But America's got a huge middle class, right? But I remember spending time in Honduras and certainly in Haiti, and you see these little tiny shacks of large families just scratching by and then right next to them, a mansion. Who's that guy? Oh, he's the guy that owns everything. We have to buy everything from them, right? This is going to, again, be happening on a worldwide scale. 
So it isn't that these things don't exist now. They do. But now it's been released onto the earth to be to encompass everybody, right? To be one or the other. Verse 7 goes on. It says, When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come and see. And so I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And the name of him who sat on it was Death. And Hades followed with him. And powers given, over, given to them over a fourth of the earth, to kill with the sword, with hunger, with death, and with the beasts of the earth. And when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little longer, a little while longer, until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren, who would be killed as they were, was completed. The fourth seal is opened, and a pale horse, and he who sat on him was named Death. Um, the idea of Death and Hades. Uh, actually, a great question to come up earlier about that. Is it because in the Greek culture, and of course in the Roman culture, because they stole everything from the Greeks, uh, you had the death, right, was like a god in their, in their uh, belief system. And then so was Hades, right? Hades oversaw uh, hell. And the question was, is this referring to that, those Greek gods? Well, not necessarily. But the idea is, is that death is the angel of death. And he's seen through on and off throughout Scripture, right? And Hades, while it is a place where the dead are kept, here it's also described as the one who oversees them. Now, not just all of the dead, right? Because those in Christ who die are with him. The idea here is that death is coming for people, and Hades will be the one to watch over those who are condemned. That's a terrifying picture. It's meant to be, right? And this is, a, this is heavy stuff. I mean, I, I, while I love studying Revelation, I love teaching through Revelation and everything, it's heavy. There's no way to lighten this up. <laughs> but it, it's good for us to also kind of embrace that heaviness and go, these things are important. These things are eternal. These decisions that people make will affect their entire eternity. And it's not a game. And so that's what's being said here. That's the picture, the idea that the rider on this horse is the angel of death and Hades will be those that oversees or keeps the condemned until the day of judgment. And, and we see that there's this progression taking place, right? That first there's the rise of this ungodly leader, the Antichrist. Then peace is taken away from the earth. And then there's famine and there's violence and war are taking place. And each one of these is building one upon the next. Until finally we see death and Hades also unleashed upon the earth. In fact, given authority over one quarter of the earth. Again, just to try and put that into perspective. 
let's say that in the rapture and the chaos that ensues afterwards, because there's going to be a worldwide earthquake that we'll talk about here in a little bit, but there's also just going to be the absolute chaos. What happens to uh, an airplane where the, the pilot and co-pilot are both Christians and they're raptured? What about 18-wheel trucks going down the road and the driver's suddenly gone, right? So let's say in the rapture and the chaos to follow, two billion people are taken from the earth like that. That leaves about six. World population right now is right under eight billion. So that leaves around six. A quarter of that is 1.5 billion people that through the process, and I believe the beginning part of the tribulation is probably when it will take place, one point billion people die. The death that Hades come for. It's a massive number. I can't even wrap my mind around all of that, right? But again, gives us an idea if we can try and get our minds around that, the scale of what's taking place here. Verse 9, the fifth seal is open. And instead of seeing the effect of heaven on earth, and that's what we've seen in the first uh, seals being broken, in the fifth seal, it's actually the effect that earth has had on heaven. As these people who have lost their lives for their faith, that have stood their ground. And again, this isn't something that just happens right before the tribulation. It's happening now. It's happening all over the world. Carolina is, is our rep with uh, voices of the martyrs. And man, stories from all over the world continue to tell us that though we experience great freedom in, in America, even with all the craziness going on right now, there are places in the world people are still being put to death for their faith. People are still being imprisoned. Their families are being taken away. Their families are being imprisoned. And and what this is saying, of course, it's going to get worse. It's going to get more intense as the end draws near. But I think one of the, the beautiful things in this is that we're also shown that these people have a special place in heaven. That they're not just among the crowd, but, but they're seen as, as, and given a place of honor. That uh, it says, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain. You know, not only is it attention given to them here, um, but there's, there's like a reward given to them that isn't given to everybody. And I think that's awesome. Now, one of the things I think we can make a mistake in is that, at least I know, that when the first time, few times I read through Revelation, I came to this, I pictured these people being very angry. <laughs> that it says that they cried out. And even what they cry out is how, how long until we're avenged, right? And so I put a very angry tone to that. Like, man, they're really displeased with what's been going down, right? But if we understand really the, the whole scene, that's not the case. It's not like these guys are all just like hands in their pockets and stomp around having, oh man, you know, I don't know if the Lord's doing this soon enough. And somebody go talk to him and tell him, you know, find out when this is all going down. Like all of creation, they're just wanting to see all this wrapped up, all this brought to an end, so that there's not more people losing their lives, there's not more people that are facing the kind of things that they, have, they faced, 
So I think we make a mistake if we put any kind of angry or vengeful tone in uh, what they're saying here. Uh, in fact, we find that they have been at rest in heaven. In verse 11, he tells them that they must rest a little longer, right? So they're not all chewed up and angry and upset. They've been resting. And he's like, no, just rest a little longer. It's like, this is, this is the last inning we're in right now. It, it's coming to an end. You guys are okay. Rest a little longer. And then he tells them it's because that the full number must be brought in. Then there's a number in heaven somewhere that speaks of those that would lose their lives for their testimony and for standing for Jesus. And then that number must be completed, that those will be brought in, added to those that we see here under the altar. Uh, It needs to be fulfilled. All right, verse 12. So that looked, and when he opened the sixth seal, behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood. The stars of the heavens fell to the earth as a fig tree drops late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. And then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up. And every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of his lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? When this seal is opened, um, everything changes. As I said, the first five seals, these are things that pertain to the whole earth, uh, and are going to happen over time. So the rise of the Antichrist, and death, and war, and famine, It's affecting earth, but it's doing it more in the long term. When the sixth seal is broken, there is an immediate action on earth. And it is huge. This is the beginning of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, also called the Great Tribulation. And we looked at Matthew 24 a few weeks ago to understand the timing of Revelation chapter 6, and Matthew 24. When you put them together, I think it makes it very clear how these things happen. In Matthew 24, Jesus is speaking about those times leading up to the tribulation itself, that there's going to be false teachers, false prophets. People are going to be claiming that, oh, the Christ is here. He's out in the desert. He's in this upper room. And Jesus says, don't listen to him. When I show up, everyone will know. It's not going to be hidden. Every eye will see it. And then he goes on to describe the tribulation itself. And he does it several different times there in Matthew 24, kind of focusing on different parts with each time. But looking at Revelation 6 and Matthew 24, we get that same type of description. The sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. Stars will fall from heaven. And and the important part to me, the one that really stands out, is actually Matthew 24 and verse 30. He says, Then... The sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and all of the tribes of the earth will mourn. 
Again, why that's important is because that's what's being described here in chapter 6 of Revelation. That this sign appears in heaven and people are calling out that the mountains would fall on them rather than them having to see Jesus in heaven, in the sky. That great sign of the Lord. And again, this marks the beginning of the tribulation on earth. Jesus comes at the beginning and he whisks the church away. It's a sign in heaven. The whole world will see it. He's on the clouds. He doesn't actually set foot on the earth. He's in the clouds, comes for the church, boom, and we're gone. And with that, a worldwide earthquake takes place. Some events take place that cause the sun to be darkened and the moon to lose its light and the stars falling from the sky. All of these things just begin firing upon the earth. But again, the people have seen something. Those that are left behind have seen something that terrifies them. The sun, the sign of the Son of Man in the sky. They have seen His power and they've seen His great glory. And because of it, the nations now mourn in fear. And this is tied right into the rapture, right? So these events are going together. In Matthew 24, verse 31, he says, And he will send out his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Well, I think that's primarily speaking about the rapture itself. I think it's also speaking of God gathering Israel together on the earth. Remember, this is their time. More than even God's judgment, this time of the tribulation is set aside for Israel. In Daniel chapter 9, the angel tells Daniel that these different divisions, these different time periods are set aside for Israel. This is the last one. And Israel, halfway through, will understand that Jesus has always been the Messiah. And they will come to Christ like never before. And we're going to see that God is working through Israel, or through some in Israel, the remnant of Israel during the tribulation. And, and people are getting saved and, and great things are happening. But this time overall is for them. And again, looking at Matthew 24 and, and here in Revelation chapter 6, it's going to be on earth a day like any other day. In Matthew 24, Jesus said, it's going to be in the days of Noah. They were eating and drinking, giving in marriage. It was a day like any other day. Went to work. They got up that morning, planning on going home that night. And then the rain came. The coming of the Son of Man will be the same. It will be a day like any other day. Until it all changes forever. And then it will never be a normal day again. There will never be a normal day after the tribulation begins. Now, with all of these things, you know, sun being darkened, the moon not giving its light, stars falling from heaven, um, this, is, this is where it begins. This is where the, the tribulation starts. And as I said, Jesus arrives at the beginning, and he also arrives at the end, at Armageddon. 
This time he actually will set foot on the earth. He will deal with the armies of the earth that they have come to gather together in Armageddon, the plains of Megiddo, and, and to fight each other for the last little bit of world resources that are left. But then the Lord appears from heaven and they turn all their guns towards him. And they lose. So the Lord is at the beginning and he is at the end. He's the bookends of the tribulation, right? He starts it and he will absolutely finish it. Now, I think the other um, thing that probably not within the last maybe 50 years, I think we've kind of started to understand it, but long before that, People looked at this section and went, wait a second, a worldwide earthquake? That's not going to happen. Every mountain, every island moved from its place? That's not real. But now we've kind of come to understand that, yeah, it's actually very real. In fact, it's happened before. Uh, there's plenty of geological evidence and scientific evidence that the earth has gone through in the past something called a polar axis shift where the earth was, was more on its axis, if not perfectly on its axis, and then I think it tipped about nine degrees. And that little event causes everything on earth to shift. Every mountain, every tectonic plate, every island. And this is the part that you know, people say, well, I don't believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. I think we're going to be here for the whole thing. Guess what? We live on an island. We'll all be gone at the beginning. One way or the other, we're out of here. So either in an upward motion or in a big wave, I don't know. But a polar axis shift explains a lot of this stuff. Now, I think it's also important to understand God doesn't need to use natural things to do these events. Right? I think sometimes people try and explain uh, the supernatural solely by natural events, right? I've heard people try and explain the parting of the Red Sea, like, well, there was actually a comet that passed very low. <laughs> there was a high wind. It wasn't really the Red Sea. It was the Reed Sea. And they got all these reasons to try and explain. God doesn't need any of that. He can just do it, right? But I think it is interesting when we find things that go, that makes sense. And, and, and it makes sense in other ways, too, that just the whole atmosphere has been darkened. Something's taken place. We've gone off of our rotation somehow. We're going to see that things are dark, but later they're very hot. It's miserable on earth. Might be part of it. Uh, interesting that the, the event of the polar axis shift that, that uh, geology has, has pointed to lines up perfectly with the biblical event of Noah's flood. Now, you mix that in with stars falling to the earth, uh, meteor impacts, whatever that might be. And again, it looks a lot like Matthew 24 and Revelation chapter 6. So this is the part where I kind of come to every time of, in my own study of like, what do I do about it? I mean, this is interesting. It's heavy. It makes me think, I think those are all really good things. It should cause us to be a little introspective as we think about all eternity and the decisions that people make for Christ. But, but what's the application for us? So I uh, might want to jot this down. Uh, Luke chapter 21 is the parallel section of Scripture to Matthew 24. 
Luke's recording that same discussion with Jesus about the end times and, and what we're to look for, what we're to be paying attention to. And in Luke 21, verse 36, Jesus says this, Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. And we've talked about that first part a lot. The first part of the command is watch therefore. As we read these things, and this is going to come up over and over again, maybe every single Sunday until we get through Revelation, our job as believers today is to watch. Not for the rise of the Antichrist. Not for the mark of the beast. We are to be looking for our Lord's return. Looking for our master's return. And that what he's given us to do, the influence he has given us in our lives, with our neighbors, with our family, with whoever it might be, we are to be those good stewards investing the gospel into their lives. That's our job doesn't mean we're leading huge crusades like Billy Graham. doesn't mean we've got some podcast or, or some following on YouTube that somehow makes us an influencer. It means the people in our lives right now, we're influencing for Jesus, encouraging in Jesus. And that when we're watching for his return, we can do that effectively. Right? The things of this life just kind of start getting brushed off, put in priority, and they are much lower than we think they are when it comes to eternity, where somebody's going to spend that. But the second part is also important because he says, pray always that you may be counted worthy. How are we counted worthy? Not by our works, not by our sacrifices, by being in Jesus Christ, right? He's able to break the seals and receive the title deed to the earth Why? Because he paid for it all on the cross. Because he paid for all of us on the cross. That's how we're worthy. And because of what he's done, because he paid our price, because he took it all upon himself, then we can know we're going to escape all of these things. And even if we have to face hard trials getting up to the tribulation, we won't ever have to deal with them again when we're in heaven. All eternity is before us. This is just a little blip on the radar, barely even that. But man, we're going to have all eternity with him. And again, we will escape these things. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, again, we just thank you so much for your care, for your love, for your word. And we pray that you would... Bring these things home. Cause us to have our understanding expanded that we might have a better view of eternity. Lord, that the things of this life that that do drag us down or distract us, Lord, that we keep them in perspective of spending eternity in heaven with you. The people that we share with and that you've given us to share the love of Christ with in our lives, may we consider eternity for them that you would have your way in us. Give us the words to speak. Give us the ways to encourage and show us just how to reach the lost for you that we might see souls saved and heaven expanded. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.